Welcome to a Healing Peace Podcast. We partner with JNTEL, a nonprofit organization that provides educational programs to promote emotional and mental health while building our identity in Christ. In this podcast series, you will learn about me, Kimir Baker, the CEO and founder of JNTEL, and other life changers. We inspire, equip, and support you along your journeys. By the renewal of our minds, we overcome life challenges. We renew and rise up. Welcome back, you guys. I know last week we started a a tough conversation, just kind of going into a little bit more detail about love for your enemies and, and what does that mean in relationships that are real contentious. And this is a topic that can pretty much go on forever, 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 because I feel like, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are in these intense uh, relationships. And today, as I stated before, I always enjoy bringing guests on the show. And, and I have a wonderful friend. Her name is Bishop Knapp. And she's just coming to share about her experiences, the things that she learned in terms of navigating from just a really toxic relationship. And I really enjoy her spirit. I'm excited about the things that she will share and getting to know her a little bit more. So Bishop, welcome to the show. And if you can share a little bit about who you are and what you do and all that wonderful stuff. Perfect. I'm a graphic designer, a mother and a wife. Uh, I'm a musician, a creator. I love knitting and crocheting and making things with my hands. That's pretty neat because I know you're artistic, but I didn't know about that aspect of being creative in terms of using your hands and knitting. I tried knitting and they were like, come here, you should do it so you can calm down a little bit. (laughs) And needless to say, I didn't get very far. So it's good. My grandma, my great grandma tried to teach me to crochet. Uh-huh. And I went to my other grandma and I said, this is how she was teaching me. And it's not turning out right. And she was like, that's wrong. And she, she taught me a different way that worked out well. That's good. Cause as you were speaking, I was like, yeah, my closest thing was the friendship bracelets when I was growing <laughs> up. And boy, I was so proud when I figured that out and I had so many and I shared it with everybody. So um, yeah, I think I'm dating myself with that statement there. No, they still do them. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty neat. Friendship bracelets are timeless. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, again, thank you for joining us. I, I know some of the things that we're going to talk about today may not be the most comfortable. And again, my my hope and encouragement is some of the things that you will share will inspire others and, and perhaps provide a new perspective in terms of how to navigate away from difficult relationships or abusive relationships. And so, again, to preference, if there's anything in our conversation that it just doesn't feel comfortable, you don't have to share it. And that is totally fine. I will not be offended. So why don't we get to know you a little bit more and, and provide like a little backdrop in terms of a relationship that was difficult that led into abusive? But how did it start out? How did you guys meet? We would love to get to know you a little bit better. So feel free to share a little bit more about your background in that way. So I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia, and I spent my entire life in the church. In high school, I was kind of bullied a bit because I was weird and creative. So my church family were really like the people that I spent my time with. So I didn't really experiment with drinking or anything else. I just kind of 
lived within my church family. And when I got to college, I got involved with my college ministry and those were my people. I ended up like having a breakup and he wasn't very spiritual before then. So I thought it'd be best to leave him with that group and me find a new group of people. So I went and tried to find other ministries. And in that time, it was a summer semester. So a lot of my friends were out. So I ended up hooking up with someone who's still a really dear friend of mine. And we ended up going to the bars, I think twice. And I ended up running into this guy and he wasn't drinking. And I thought that was neat. And we ended up talking and then he got my number and he pursued me in a way that I had never been pursued before. I finally thought, you know what? I'm just going to give this guy a chance. Like clearly he's very interested. He's very determined. Like when we met, he wasn't drinking. And I like, there were just some things that I thought were good qualities. Like he said, he had a clothing brand. I've designed clothing now for a long time. And it was something that I was always interested in. So anyway, he, he spun a bunch of lies basically. And that's how he kind of trapped me into this relationship. Um, I ended up getting pregnant and there was a certain point where the lies just kind of started unraveling and it was too late basically. Right. And it's interesting because one of the things that you shared in terms of what attracted you to him was how intent he was in pursuing a relationship with you. And I know as you stated that the thing that went off in my mind is especially for women that's one of the characteristics that's part of our core character, that being we just want to be loved. And in that that desire of wanting to be loved, sometimes it comes and then we're like, you know, finally. And I know I've been there numerously and, and just trying to navigate those emotions and navigate, you know, being with the right person in the midst of that desire to want to be loved. Well, I think there's... I think there's a big difference in finding the right person and it being a mutual pursuit mm-hmm. and someone chasing after you is kind of what I've learned looking back at it. There, If someone doesn't know you well enough to be infatuated with you, they're infatuated with an idea of something that they want and it's not you which is a really hard thing to kind of come to terms with, especially like as a woman, when you want that validation and you want that, that fulfillment, right? But if they don't know your spirit and they don't know your person well enough to know that you're worthy and you're desirable and all those things, then odds are it's not you. And it's something that they're trying to do on their own. That's actually so very powerful because, ah, yeah, I'm just, blown away by that statement in the sense of truly understanding who you are as well to be able to segregate that this is just that person and that's not necessarily who I am. Yeah, I think when it comes to abuse and abusers, I think 90% of it is the abuser and it's the abuser with their own reality and their own things that they've dealt with through their life and it's all focused on them and it's all very centered around who they are and how they see the world and it has very little to do with the person they're abusing very 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 little and in your journey how long did it take for you to get to that understanding 
because I, I would imagine being in the love or the abyss aspect, it's hard to to distinguish between okay, this is this person versus who I am as an individual. I think I lasted as long as I did in that relationship because I had the understanding of this is his past trauma and it has nothing to do with me. And I wish instead of having that mindset, I would have said, this is his past trauma and has nothing to do with me, but I don't deserve this. And that was the chunk that I was missing. But it took me probably a year after the relationship entirely resolved, like dissolved. And I had gotten away from the fear of everything that I don't know how to properly say this, but like the threats of leaving. And I feel like that's something that abusers commonly do is they they make it seem like it's impossible to leave. And they try to take away those options of leaving. And that's something that he very much did. So after I got out of that, I was able to look back and say, none of those things that he said about me were true. Absolutely none of that was real. And none of that abuse had anything to do with me. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. And that lack of self-blame and that lack of guilt, when that realization happened, allowed me to have healthy relationships moving forward. Right. And so what I'm curious is when you were in the relationship, how long did it take before you were able to start getting those mental cues or those emotional cues that to distinguish like, okay, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And what can I do differently so that I can be in a safer place? I mean, honestly, I got suicidal and I talked to a friend and I told her I felt like a bad mom and I just I had a hard time with it, um, with all the lies that he was telling me, because at that point, it was years of the same lies being thrown on me, which were, like I said, it was his past trauma. It was things that he was dealing with, with his memories of his childhood. And we would talk about it afterwards. And he would say, well, I was just drunk. It didn't matter. I didn't actually mean any of that. It's okay. And it made it to where he didn't feel like anything that he said needed to be addressed which I feel like a lot of abusers do, they'll say, well, I was drunk. I didn't mean it. And just because you were drunk and you didn't mean it doesn't mean that you didn't say it and that those words aren't there. So anyway, I got to a point where those thoughts just became extremely overwhelming. And I called a friend and she was like, you were the most amazing mother I've ever seen. And we talked for a while and she was like, these are all lies. And she was like, tell me all of these things. Like, tell me, like, lay down your burden on me is basically what she did. And I did. And she was like, Bishop, none of those are true. She was like, you have to realize none of those are true. And we talked and she gave me reasons on why they were all lies. And I think there's such power in taking things that you keep hidden in the dark and opening them up and letting other people see them so they can see you can see how ridiculous they are too when you say them out loud and when you you lay them all out there and to have another person validating that those things aren't true just empowered me and it gave me a new hope. And I'm curious because normally in, in those type of circumstances, 
the the shame and guilt is so overwhelming that you're not willing to have that conversation, even though you consider the person to be safe, but you feel so bad about yourself that you're you, you don't have the guts to push forward. So how did you break free from that mentality and to say, hey, let me just try to get to this place of vulnerability and try this person out. I've been really, really blessed with friends in my life in different points and different times, and they've all played different roles. And she went through a lot of really traumatic experiences that like, I can't hold a candle to. I mean, some of the things that she's been through are just absolutely horrific. And we've talked about them. And I was a confidant for her to let a lot of things go that she had never told anyone before. So by her putting that trust in me and that faith in me to tell me those things, it gave me the room to share what I was feeling and what I was going through. And that's really amazing because I I know also sometimes in those abusive relationships, it's difficult to actually have friends because the abuser doesn't allow that extra level of communication. And so I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear that for yourself, you didn't have that limitation. And then to see the blessing of having that relationship. It was, so we met in an online group and it was on a, like a mobile game that we were playing. And that's the reason why I was able to have that relationship. And I did a hundred percent of the raising of my kids when they were babies. And I took care of them in the middle of the night. And that was a lot of when we would talk is when he was away. And he also, he wasn't around. He was at the bars, he was drinking, he was doing a lot of different things. So where he left me isolated with three young kids. And that was very much a way to take a lot of power away from me and make me feel isolated and not have outside contact. But I ended up forging friendships through a game that ended up lasting a lifetime and saving my life. That's amazing because it it seems so simple, but yet I say simple in the sense of how you were able to develop those relationships uh, via an app, right? Because normally when you think of the old context of building relationships, you have to meet in person, you go to the store a couple of times, you sit down, but seeing that you were creative in that relationship and then the blessing of opening up that door. I think God will put people in your life that you need, regardless of the situation that you're in. All you have to do is say yes. And sometimes it's hard to say yes. But as a child of God, you're always going to be taken care of. And even in the times that seem the darkest and the worst, he still puts things there for you to utilize and use. And those group of people that he put into my life, I I very much think that was God because it was there were hundreds of thousands of people playing that game. And the three of us who got together that built such a strong bond and friendship. I mean, I don't, I don't know. The statistics of that actually happening are so low that there's no other way for me to explain that other than God taking care of me and making sure that I had a place to go to. Yeah. And and that's why as you're speaking, I'm so, I'm so blown away by it. I'm like, wow, like I would have never thought that uh, an app or a video game could be that life-saving, that life-changing. 
And one of the things that I'm also quite curious with is because normally when we go through difficult times, we usually blame God for it or we think he's not with us. But when I hear you speak, you still have a very strong connection to who he is even in the midst of darkness. So how were you able to navigate that understanding with him when the world around you was so dark and your experiences were so dark? I got mad, honestly. And it took me a while to understand that they were my personal decisions. But at the end of the day, he gave me avenues to get out over and over again. And it was my own stubbornness and my own pride and my thinking that I could fix it or my thinking that like, if I would just get him into church, then he would change. If I would just do this, then it would change. And it was all dependent upon me. Right. And I can't be mad at God for that. I can't be mad at him for my own pride and hubris, but it took a while to get there. But looking back at everything, God was constantly there. And even in the times that felt like they were the absolute darkest, I can see God in the memories of it. And throughout your journey, was there a period in the relationship where your husband tried to sever that guidance, that connection with God to keep you in the relationship with him? There are multiple times. And in my opinion, like where I came from, I was raised in a way that like God could save anyone, right? And the reality of that statement is God can save anyone who wants to be saved. I think we forget about that second part often, or at least I I have <laughs> throughout my life. And that need to come before God humbly just kind of got lost in translation growing up. And I just had the the thought of, if we were involved in a church, then God would fix them because there's no trauma that God can't fix. There's no amount of like childhood things that God can't fix. And if I could be strong enough, if I could just take it for a little bit longer, if I could just forgive and forgive and forgive that eventually God would step in and fix them, right? Because that's what God does. God fixes people, but God fixes people who come before him. And God fixes the willing and he doesn't change people who don't want to be changed. And looking back on it, I mean, he would refuse to pray. He would leave the room when the pastor would start praying, which is so weird and bizarre looking back on it. Because I mean, I, I had him in church with me. I mean, I was very involved with church until we moved to our new town and COVID hit and pastors were weird at that point. And they were being way too radical for me and I couldn't handle it. <laughs> we tried a few different churches and I just didn't like the message that was coming across. So I, I just kind of took a break for a second. And in that things got really dark. And that's when I ended up struggling with everything to the extent that I did. But I think I needed that time to really see what was going on without putting on my rose tinted glasses constantly. Yeah. And I think there are two things that you share, which is so profound. And I'm glad that you shared it. It's because I know that even myself, I've been in relationships 
where the process is because I know that they, for me, in, in this particular context, I knew that they had a relationship with God. And so I figured that those elements that were harmful to me, that God was fixing. Yeah. And so, but the problem is, is that while I'm waiting for him to fix it, I'm still in a situation that's very painful and perhaps, well, not perhaps in knowing that that's not the best place for me to be. And I, I know, and I'm bringing this up because that, that's something we tell ourselves over and over again, which again, keeps us trapped because we have those Christian values and that Christian understanding of God's power. And so I'm grateful that you shared that, not in the context of minimizing God's power, not in the context of God cannot do this, but more along the lines of at a certain point, the other person doesn't take responsibility for their own actions and how they connect with God. And we're not the interceder for that. It's really hard to learn. It's a very hard lesson to learn. Yeah. You're not the mediator of someone else's relationship with God. You have an, your own personal relationship with God, but it's not your job to intermediate. I mean, it's it's just not. And especially in a romantic relationship, that's not what it should be. You should come together and you should talk about things and you should grow together spiritually and you should challenge each other and you should be in the word together and you should be praying for each other. But you shouldn't be relying on one person in the relationship to do all those things right? Like it needs to be a partnership in Christ and not an intermediaryship. Yeah. And and as you were saying that, one of the things that came to my mind was the old analogy of the triangle. I don't know if you heard that in, in your upbringing in the Christian faith about each person is at the bottom of the triangle. And as they grow closer to God, they move closer to each other and they move up the triangle. I haven't heard that, but I like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was replayed for me a lot in my youth in the Christian fellowship that I grew up in. And one of the things that you've clearly identified is that if the person is unwilling to move up that triangle and get closer to God, there's no way that you guys can grow closer in a healthy way because seeking God is not there in, in that level of rising to his strength and his ability to the things that he's calling us to be. And and you can't jump to the other side of the triangle to try to push the person up. And I feel like when you, when you try to push someone up, you have to get below them to push. Ooh, that's, right. Yeah. That's powerful. You can't. Yeah. And it's easier to push someone up than it is to pull them. I think that's probably what happened to me realistically in those dark times that I got mad. I ended up trying to get down to push someone up who was unwilling to move and found myself in the dirt and didn't understand what happened. Yeah. And then, you know, as you say that my imagery connected with here, you have this extraneous amount of weight on top of you as you attempt to push up. And so in actuality, you're just being crushed. And there's another barrier between you and God too. I mean, it's, putting something else between your relationship with God. It's making something else more important than God because you're putting it in between. Did you know that a Healing Peace podcast has a website? 
You will find resources along with our very own tools and tips on our website. Our tools and tips provide tangible principles to keep you on your emotional healing and wellness journeys. While you are on our website, sign up for our newsletter. You will receive a free emotional wellness assessment just for signing up. Also, you will stay informed about podcast episodes, courses, and workshops. You will receive all this great information just for signing up for our newsletter. Go to ahealingpeace.com today. And so for yourself in that journey, you talked about luckily having a safe relationship that was able to counteract the lies. And so in that conversation, in that exchange, is that what empowered you to say, okay, I'm done. It's time just to leave all this. Yes. It probably took about about a month of kind of fighting with things in my head and figuring out what I was doing. And I feel like the repercussions of it, of not having my children full-time, of no longer being a full-time parent, of giving up holidays. I mean, there's just so many things that come along with breaking up a family, right? So dealing with those were a lot. But when I had realized that what he was telling me were lies, it made it to where over the month that I was trying to kind of figure everything out, I realized how much he lied to me on a regular basis. I had a girl coming and watching the kids while I would work. And she worked at a bar that he would go to. And her and another one of our mutual friends came when he was gone. And they sat me down and they told me everything that they knew. And just the amount of lies and the weight of it and the gravity of it made it impossible to turn around at that point because you realize that it's not just me. You realize this is a much bigger problem than anything that I could attribute to. And I just didn't want to be in that anymore and I couldn't handle it. And at some point he had called my parents on his phone when he was screaming at me. And my parents had never heard it before. I had had like a few conversations kind of alluding to it, but I didn't want them to know full gravity of it because it was embarrassing and shameful, right? So he somehow pocket dials them and they hear everything. Them knowing an extent of it also helped a lot. I mean, there were a lot of things that God did along the way to make it to where those doors shut one after another. Yeah. And in you sharing your story, I'm I'm grateful that you're able to highlight some of those elements of him moving, regardless of the circumstance. And so grateful again, because usually in the dark moments, those are the times where we believe that he's not with us. And so here are you able to articulate that, yeah, it was dark, but he was still moving in a way so that I can gain my freedom. And even in a sense where it's not convenient or comfortable, but you've already made the statement of uh, seeing and allowing that type of intervention from God and then making the decision to listen to his interventions. Yeah. And that's, that can be the hardest thing to do is making that decision to listen and to humble yourself. For me, it was the matter of humbling myself and admitting I was wrong. I'm not not great at saying I'm wrong. I don't think anyone is. I work very hard to be right. 
Yeah. I read a lot. I study a lot. I try very hard to not be wrong. So for me, that was a really hard pill to swallow and to admit, but God made it to where I feel like he just kept on putting water in front of me, right? Just trying to make that pill a little easier to take. And, and eventually I just got to a point where I said, okay. And and as you state that, I'm grateful because what I'm hearing is more than anything that God doesn't give up on us. And he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't give up on us. And I'm looking at the time and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can keep going. And I know people who are listening like, my gosh, you guys should keep going. So I think you know me well enough with our podcast that every time we want to keep going, that means we got round two coming. And so Bishop, would you be interested in coming back so we can finish conversation? Because I want to know what happens after you leave and, and how you work through your healing and uh, continue to fight back all the lies that was told for you for all those years. So will you come back and, and share more of your life with us? Yes, ma'am. All right. And, and you guys, for those who are still in abusive or difficult relationships, uh, one resource that is national is actually the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And they have individuals on staff that will talk to you on their website, which is thehotline.org. They also have information for local resources where you can go to get more support. If you don't have that friend through the app, uh, they can definitely guide and and provide uh, a listening ear and, and just resources so that this is not your final state. So again, come back next week in the interim. Please enjoy your week. Please continue to remember that God does not give up on us and that he's always working on our behalf. Until then, have a good one.